You're listening to another episode of the Anavivo podcast. Thank you for your time. Oh yeah, we're back. Anavivo podcast, anavivo.com. I am joined today by wonderful guest, Dick Haynes. And doesn't this music just remind you of what the clip you sent me <laughs> this week? <laughs> yes. You sent me a, a clip this week of um, another hidden talent of yours that I knew nothing about. <laughs> uh -oh. Yeah, yeah. You're in trouble when you send me things you don't know it's going to be I on the air. never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you, that was a clarinet, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if uh, you didn't know, listeners, uh, Dick Haynes is a uh, fantastic clarin cl clarinetist, cl cl flautist, flutist? That's close enough. <laughs> clarinet player. <laughs> and um, you were playing some really sweet music there. And then you sent me the video because you said I wouldn't believe <laughs> what I was hearing, <laughs> right. which is true. I, I played the music first, and I showed Grace. Oh, and did she, you? And she said, uh, she said, oh, that's beautiful. And I said, yeah, but guess what? Do you know who this is? And she said, no, I have no idea. And then we pulled up the video of you actually playing. <laughs> she was like, what? <laughs> good. What other things do you want to share with good, us today good, good. That, <laughs> that none of us know about? <laughs> ah, well, Tim, it's nice to be back. It's nice to be back. Thank you for joining me. Another episode here on the podcast. For those of you just tuning in, go back and listen to part one. Uh, it will be airing the week prior to this one. And um, that is the introduction of the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Richard Haynes. Dick Haynes here joining me in the studio on beautiful Woodby Island, Washington, uh, a native of the area, and just has some incredible stories in that last episode uh, and some of his testimony. And um, I just wanted to sort of uh, pick up from there. You had spent 35 years working in beautiful California for NASA. And uh, among your clarinet playing and, <laughs> and other things that you're a genius of multiple degrees and, uh, you know, an author, published author and, and um, other facilities, I wanted to just sort of recap um, that the last episode we was, was so important to me in, in hearing that aside from all of this other stuff you did and that you have done and that you're still doing here as a man on earth, the accomplishment that what stood out to me was just this faithfulness in the mundane of your of your life going through that whole stretch of life how the lord has worked through your life and how you've been faithful to him and how it was a it was a journey it wasn't just this road to damascus moment like like a lot of the believers have in their testimony and um and i just thought that was really neat and so uh, i'm just so happy to be joined on air again with you today and um now we get to talk about some exciting <laughs> Some other exciting things. So I'll lead us in here. We've okay. got this um, NARCAP. For those of you listening in, uh, you can Google NARCAP, N-A-R-C-A-P. It's the National Aviation Reporting Center on Anomalous Phenomena. And this is something that you started back in 2000. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Y2K is happening. There's already crazy things happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> and at that time, you are starting this organization that now has become, 23 years later, this really formal 
and professional organization for aviation professionals to report on um, on the stuff here. And you can find it at narcap.org. So tell me more about this, this platform, this program, this facility, this, what is it? Can anybody go on? And is it, is it just loony bin people uh, is my question. It sure is. <laughs> Reporting things that, you know, I'm, I'm licking the window of a 737 as I'm flying from here to New Orleans and, and I see something outside and I can report it. Or is this for, is this a professional uh -huh. uh, organization uh, for aviation professionals? Uh, that's a great question, Tim. Uh, we get asked that question a lot. Um, let me fir first explain to you who we are. Okay, awesome. Uh, NARCAP basically was established, as you say, back in 2000. And it consists of experts in meteorology, engineering, aerodynamics, physics, sociology, psychology, human factors, commercial and private aviation, and photo analysts. In other words, we have a, right, yeah, a that's pretty a broad diverse, array of science right. disciplines <laughs> looking at what these pilots and uh, air traffic controllers are telling us, basically. Why did we form NARCAP? Um, well, we, when I say we, I'm referring primarily to uh, the executive director and I. His name is Ted Rowe. He lives in Hawaii mm. and administers the organization from there. Okay. I have been the chief scientist doing <clears throat> basically the um, unwrapping of the mysteries that are sure. presented to us, <clears throat> but I stepped down from that position a couple of years ago, primarily because that was the right time to do it and mm -hmm. my age and health and so forth. So at any rate, we put this organization together because we believe that there is a portion of <clears throat> flight around the world, uh, regardless of country and latitude, and anything, any way you want to cut the, the, uh, the pie, there is a proportion of those aviation events that involve anomalous phenomena mm -hmm. that can't be explained. Right. And so uh, some people call, the, call them UFO. Okay. We do not use that term. Oh, and interesting. in fact... We have kind of coined the UAP okay. designation, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, since it's much broader. <clears throat> and UA, UFO just is biased, very biased. Sure. Okay. They're not always objects, for instance. They're much more phenomena. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're not always flying. Mm. Uh, sometimes they're underwater. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So in any other words, wow. <clears throat> it's something very mysterious, that we think can affect flight safety. Okay. And so that's our primary objective is flight safety. So Got it. when we compare what NARCAP is doing with existing UFO organizations, uh, we're taking a very different path. Yeah. Because <clears throat> we're act proactive, basically, um, in the sense that we're providing a practical outcome for the general public. Since so many of us are flying these days, right. everyone's concerned and interested about flight safety. Sure, yeah. Uh, not just security, but safety. Um, and we have evidence from a lot of other people's research and our own that 
pilots can be uh, distracted by the presence of something nearby their plane. The, sometimes the phenomenon will affect the flight instruments, mm. mm -hmm. the compass, yeah. the uh, direction finder, uh, radio transmission, radar. You, you, you mention it, and we've got examples of that actually happening where yeah. the, the commercial pilot or the military pilot or the private pilot has come back to us with these marvelous stories, yeah. and I could share hours and hours of them, <laughs> with cases where when the phenomenon is nearby, something happens in the cockpit that really shouldn't be happening. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Um, sometimes the near the proximity between the pilot and the phenomenon is so small, they're nearby, that the pilot has to make an evasive maneuver of some kind. Once in a while, there's even air turbulence, mm. which is very fascinating and important. Yeah. It implies a displacement of the air, um, like a wind shear, for instance, would, or just normal air turbulence. That requires an object with mass, and yet they behave as if they have no mass. Wow. They behave almost as plasma, if you will. Mm. So at any rate, uh, that's kind of where we're going with NARCAP. Uh, we have affiliates in Germany and Brazil um, and establishing others so that it isn't just a United States organization. Yeah. It's worldwide because every country has airplanes, right. commercial predominantly. We also, very at the beginning, right at the beginning, agreed that we will not deal with, with uh, classified events. Mm. We realize that military carry out tests of a very advanced nature that might not appear normal. Sure. So we won't touch those at all. But how will you how do you distinguish those? Well, usually the agency itself will distinguish it okay. for us. Okay. You'll you'll be ready to submit something and they'll contact you and say or they'll well, contact you ahead of time and say by the way we're doing this test over the No, they've never done that. Okay. That would be too dis much disclosure, right. I think. <laughs> Um, I think what I would say is, Tim, that we err on the side of, of uh, caution and discretion. Mm. So if you're submitting, if someone is, a, they're a pilot or an air crew member and they're submitting or getting ready to submit a report, you have a team of folks on the back end sifting through those reports that are, that are basically saying, ah, this seems classified. Yeah. We're not going to touch that. Right. Okay. I yeah, but I can what give you if, a good example of that. Well, yeah, because what if those are not classified? What if they're real <laughs> <laughs> phenomenon well, events that you just... NARCAP is willing to take that risk. Oh, okay, okay. Right, right. Uh, It I seems was... kind of throwing the bathwater out with the, the baby out with it the bathwater. It does, doesn't it? In, yeah. a, in a way where like someone curious me, like me is like, oh, I want to investigate that, <laughs> but but for the side yeah. of uh, safety of our own country or other countries, you're not. Yeah. Obviously, you've made wise decisions in the reasoning behind this, so... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and we don't want to get into bureaucratic scrambles right, right, right. with our own government either. No mm -hmm. reason to do that. Yeah, uh, We have a scientific objective, not a political objective. Right. Um, so at any rate, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. I've traveled a lot, interviewed a lot, heard the weirdest stories you'd ever <laughs> imagine from senior captains who've never told the story to anybody else because of the ridicule they would 
face. Wow. And the job insecurity, they yeah. get fired. Yeah. Uh, they go to the psychiatric, uh, the psychiatrist of the company, you see, for evaluation right. if they come with a storyline. So in other words, the aviation community hasn't matured mm. to the point mm -hmm. of really wanting to turn it over to the scientific community. That brings up a good point. These reports they make can be anonymous to you. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, sometimes they are, but we really would like to have their their uh, pilot registration number. Sure. Then, but if it's a senior pilot, like in this case, who's in oh, fear we'll of his job, we'll maintain confidentiality. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't come to us otherwise. Right. Right. That's right. Mm. Uh -huh. uh, let me give you a short story. Sure, please. Fairly recent. <clears throat> a uh, air cargo heavy, um, I think it was a 747, taking off from LAX, Los Angeles International. 2 a.m., uh, they have noise abatement uh, requirements at that airport, and so they took off to the west over the ocean. Mm. Middle of the morning, night, you know. Right, Everyone's right. asleep. Yeah. Full cargo, I understand, uh, two guys on board. And they took off. It was a clear, dark night, except the moon was out to their right on takeoff. Okay. Kind of to the north a bit. And the, the story that the co-pilot, the first officer, told me in great detail was that the captain was flying, okay, and they were still under local control. They hadn't passed off to center yet. Uh, they get up to several thousand feet altitude over the dark ocean below them, and suddenly, uh, oh, and the, the co-pilot is eyes outside. He's looking for other traffic. Mm -hmm. you know. And you and your aviation experience know what I'm talking about. Right, here. right. Suddenly, he sees two bright white round lights oriented horizontally to each other. Like headlights of a car like, or something. Exactly, like he very bright headlights wow. right in front of them. Just appeared <laughs> out of nothing. terrifying. He was. <laughs> An impact with another whatever. <laughs> he, he thought they were going to die. Yeah. You know, oh my a collision. Because how many wow. seconds at their speed yeah, would it take right. to cover that distance? Well, <laughs> the captain is on instruments. He looks up and he sees it too. And they're bracing themselves, yeah. said, expecting to die, basically. Right. And he was amazed. After several seconds, he realized these lights were not getting farther apart and bigger and bigger, meaning mm. closer and closer. Right. In fact, they were maintaining their orientation, size, shape, and so forth over time. Wow. Which means that they're receding at the same speed they're proceeding, right, right. <laughs> maintaining the same separation distance. Wow. Well, uh, I said, well, what happened next? See, this could just go on and on. Yeah. He said, suddenly it took off, he snapped his fingers, and it just took off to the southwest in a climb. Wow. Until it was, he could hardly distinguish it from the background stars. Okay. It was a clear night, lots of stars there. Um, captain looked at him, I guess, um, captain, what should we do? Should we report this? Yeah. <laughs> and all they did was call the tower and find out what radar showed around them. Should mm -hmm. there be another object there? And radar said, no, there's nobody but you. 
Wow. So they banked left, and then they banked again and went off to New Jersey or wherever they were going on yeah. the East Coast. It was a long flight. Uh, and I said, did you ever report that sighting? He said, oh, no, we never reported that. Yeah. Well, that's typical. Tim, if they don't report them, how can anybody do some serious work on them? Right, but in the same vein, if they report them at 2 in the morning, who's going to call them crazy and lose their job and yeah. they've got families and right. <laughs> you know, all sorts of things? That's right. Wow. So that's kind of typical. Wow. And I could sit here for literally for hours and s yeah. tell you real <laughs> stories that captains have looked me in the eye. Oh, my goodness. And said, you're not going to believe this, but. Wow. And I said, try me. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the story. So, so this is a good example. Now, how would you or your team d decide? Okay, this is classified. This is not classified. We're we're gonna report this. We're not gonna report it or put it in our reporting, I guess, and use that. How would we do that? Right, right. Well, most cases are rather more mundane. Okay. Um, in that last case from Los Angeles, I made arrangements for a professional artist in L.A. to meet with the captain, with the, the first officer and have him describe carefully and to recreate a drawing. Oh, cool. Several drawings yeah. of what was seen <clears throat> because we don't have photographs. Right. More and more flight crews are carrying cameras with them. Cool. Or they have a, a cell phone yeah. with a good camera on it. And so we're beginning to get more photographs because of that which is really helpful. Um, the phenomenon is showing up in virtually every country of the world. It doesn't seem to be favoring one country over another mm -hmm. <clears throat> or derived from some spiritual belief that country may have. Right. Uh, I won't get into particulars there. <clears throat> I wish you would. <laughs> oh boy <laughs> but you don't need to if it's <laughs> okay um so anyway. I, I find this you know fascinating and and i think the audience you know will, well we do too we you do too right do. there's a reason this is this started but it's aviation safety yeah um we are serious about finding uh, collecting good quality data first of all from qualified observers. Right. These guys are highly experienced, trained, educated, motivated. Uh, they want to keep the airplane in one piece. Right. You know. Yeah, and that's a good. I mean, a good description that this is a scientific-based, professionally run, um, uh, government-recognized organization. This isn't some person out in their trailer with a telescope who's got a tinfoil <laughs> hat. <laughs> right. And not that anything's wrong with those people and not that they also haven't experienced these things, but right. there's, right. but this is, this is a very research-based, right. um, you know, factual, right. non-political, as you mentioned, Precisely. organization that's worldwide. And so yeah. you want to get to the basis of this for the safety of the crew and the passengers right. and everybody involved. So, yeah. so how would you, decide if that one with the headlights is potentially a military test? Oh, that's that's personal judgment call, basically. Okay. I made that final decision as the chief scientist. Um, if it happens over a Area 51, for instance... Sure, sure, then you would... Yeah, there's a, a much higher chance that it's 
earth technology, right? Or let's say man-made technology, right? Put it that way, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good a good uh, segue into something because from my limited knowledge on all of this, what I'm what I'm assuming in my bias is that you're referring to this organization is referring to things that they just can't explain, and it very well could be um, new new emerging tech uh, or things like that. But but you're actually more focused on the phenomena itself, non-Earth-based, non-man-made uh, material and, and things that just, yeah, displace the air around you, the things that you just cannot explain that would not likely be. Well, man-made. yeah, yeah. I, I, when you study this phenomenon for very long, you come to see that the phenomenon is violating laws of physics, mm. as we know laws of physics right, today. Right, right. Um, now, Two, three hundred years from now, there will be a whole new law of physics, additional laws, I should say. Um, So we don't know everything now. We should be humble and realize (laughs) that, take that into account. Um, So that if the phenomenon is described as turning 90-degree corners at Mm. 3,000 miles an hour (laughs) or disappearing from radar and then reappearing from radar, right? okay, that's violating laws of physics. Mm. And it's saying to the people on board, if there are you know, life forms on board, I say if now, that they can tolerate G-loads that would kill us. Right. Just squish us into nothing. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another basis on which we say that it's not terrestrial. Because it's not carrying human cargo. It's Well, it may be robotic. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, and so electronics can uh, tolerate a lot more G's than humans can. Mm. Can you share the story of the one that you mentioned earlier about potentially underwater? Um, it's like, <laughs> is that somebody from the air in an aircraft seeing yeah. something? Oh, the there's ocean, lots or? of underwater sightings. A friend of mine wrote a book, two and a half inches thick, really on underwater cases from around the world that that pilots are observing from the air no seen by naval people on ships oh, okay, and okay. captains of freighters and yeah um, anyway well that piques my sailor interest <laughs> all right well here's a, here's a story um, and this is a case we did not investigate somebody else did okay um, i received in the mail a, a dvd of course you did. Mysterious, unmarked, no author. That That's right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How all good stories start. <laughs> it was a dark and stormy This night. is a Humphrey Bogart film <laughs> if I've ever seen one. <laughs> well, right there I've lost my credibility. <laughs> no, no, no. I love these. these I didn't great. write the letter. <laughs> I, it was a DVD, and on the DVD was clearly an airborne... Um, say microwave at least wavelength there, it was black and white first okay. of all not color hmm. but it was taken from the air maybe four or five thousand feet at the most hmm. uh, over the north tip of I believe Puerto Rico okay um, because there was some information that came along with it hmm. in terms of location time date and so forth hmm. And this allegedly was a either a U.S. Coast Guard airplane from which the uh, the imagery came, okay, or it was a drug interdiction 
plane. I think it was a drug interdiction plane mm. on a routine flight. Sure. There's an airport down below and a small village, town, let's call it, and a seacoast. Okay. So the ocean is off to the left, which would be to the north. Okay. The airplane's doing a circle over the whole region. I would estimate maybe a five-mile diameter circle. <clears throat> and its sensor picks up uh, a small, roundish, let's say irregularly shaped um, return, which was white. Interesting. Which is probably heat-related and probably hot. Yeah. Although we don't know for sure. Sure. And so once the sensor picked that object up that was flying above the ground level, mm -hmm. it tracked it. And it always kept it close to, I think it was a square wow. uh, symbol, yeah. like a head-up display. Yeah. Would track it just automatically. The pilot followed that around. Interesting. Right. Well, to make a long story short, that went on for several revolutions around the circuit of the region, let's say. Mm. I don't know, a couple miles at least. Um, and then it, the object or phenomena descended in altitude down to sea level when it was out over the coast, over the ocean. Wow. And it went underwater. <laughs> oh, and man. Yes. And then it <laughs> oh, split no. in two oh, my from one object to two underwater and continued on and then came out again. Wow. Yeah. And, and as a, uh, did it come back into one when it came yes, above? Yes, it did. As a, as a, as a light scientist, an optical <laughs> scientist, would you say there's a chance that that is the, uh, yeah, refraction, a refraction no. from the equipment that's measuring that signal? I don't think so, but okay. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. To make a long story short, NARCAP did not accept that case to study. Interesting. Why? Because it was Be anonymous? No, because it was government. And oh. We had no authority mm. from the U.S. Because government. Because the, the measuring device was government-related, whoever was flying that plane and measuring the signal. Yeah. And, okay. and, and my assess assessment was that somebody on board the plane squirreled away a copy yeah. of the data yeah. and wanted to have it analyzed by us right. uh, for some reason. Mm -hmm. I can think of several. And we wouldn't do it. Wow. Now, if the Coast Guard or the ICE or some group organization had come to us, I'd handle it willingly. Yeah. How do I know about it in the first place other than my DVD? Right, right. Because another organization did pick up on it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, and did a very good analysis. They okay. pulled a team together of, well, I don't know, half a dozen guys. Okay. Uh, and did a very credible analysis of uh, it. Military... Um Organization or no government? private? Okay, private, which means that apparently we took too long and we didn't satisfy <laughs> the person who sent it. Sure. Anyway, that's well better safe than sorry, and you know, in terms of crossing those right, lines, right, yeah, right. because you've got a lot of folks that that know about this organization and trust the credibility of this organization to to answer to right. as well. You don't want to be right. obviously not have integrity and you right. know just take all these uh right. these in interest as interesting as they may be so yeah. um so that that is quite the story and brings up a question 
there are a lot of other organizations like this and and some that are um, some that are very solid like yours and and scientific based and some that are uh, do it strictly for the Discovery Channel or National Geographic Channel and and um, you know the 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 viewership I guess I would say um, why why did you start this in the beginning and can you share more about your co-founder as well and and just your passions in this, especially that n- neither of you, to my knowledge, are pilots or in the aviation, I mean, outside of NASA, but um, y- your background is in, um, what was your master's in? Psych- psychology. Yeah, psychology, right. So h- how did you two, who, who are you two, and how did you <laughs> develop this interest in, in wanting to uh-huh. sort of create this whole... Oh, boy. Plan? I don't know how much time we've got here. <laughs> it's all up to it's up to our bladders at this point. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, NARCAP really started about 1999 when uh, Ted Rowe approached me in California, down near in Silicon Valley, actually, where we both lived, and uh, he shared an experience he had personally. And who is Ted Rowe? Ted is our executive director. Okay. For NARCAP. And we said, but who was he prior to NARCAP? Um, okay, so he approached you not as a colleague. At, no, at NASA. he wanted help with his own. He sighting. was just a person you've never met before. Nope. Came out. You were you were working at NASA. This right. Ted Rowe came out and right. and met with you. Right. Okay. Right. And his story is fascinating, which I really don't want to get into. Sure. Except he was with two other adults at the time, and so everybody saw it. It was a close encounter. Okay. Um, daylight over the, I don't remember the highway number, but it runs north and south beside Berkeley, California, and Oakland, mm. down the east side of the San Francisco Bay. Mm. <clears throat> so there should have been hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. Mm. At any rate, he, sh- he and I had this coffee meeting one day in Los Gatos, and talked about, well, what could we do? This was after talking about his own sighting. Sure. What could we do to make a real contribution to uh, ufology? Mm. It wasn't called UAP back then. It was called UFOs. Ufology. Ufology. Interesting. (laughs) And we said, well, uh, how about flight safety? It's something that's important, everyone flying these days, so there'd be a natural affinity for that sure. approach. It's giving back something to the society. It's not mm. just taking. Yeah, A lot of ufologists are just taking. Mm. I hate to say that, but mm-hmm. it's true. Yeah, For whatever, they, curiosity is a good example. Yeah, They want to learn as much as they can. They won't, except maybe a buddy uh, over beer, Mm-hmm. won't talk too much about their own experiences. Mm. It's usually done for personal reasons. So NARCAP comes along with this whole different objective of giving something back to society yeah. by making flight safer. Now, why, why do we say that we're making it safer? Well, first of all, we've been trying to educate pilots and aviation officials now for quite some time, and I brought along a list of our technical papers. Mm. By the way, we publish everything. We don't hide anything. It's all there on the website. I was going to ask if there's a, a place where the folks listening could go onto narcap.org. And, www.narcap.org. 
and look at these stories yeah. and look at the. Okay. They're all there. Mm-hmm. Not all. Yeah. But many of them. Right. Great many of them. So, at any rate, we set up NARCAP. About, it's formally established about year 2000. And uh, I asked a number of my colleagues and friends uh, if they would like to help us out. So, we had a professional meteorologist and several physicists from Ames, mm. NASA Ames, some pilots. Uh, military and commercial pilots. Um, I represented kind of human factors. Mm. That was my area of emphasis and so forth. So put a team together that could credibly look at these cases from many different points of view. So at any rate, um, it's been going now for some years. Uh, We've established relationships with some foreign countries, leaders in foreign countries. Mm -hmm. Um, which tells us that there's a much broader interest than sometimes we might realize. Mm. Mm-hmm. That flight safety is important, but UAP are really important too. Yeah. Now, were you interested, this was prior to a time where people are reading your Facebook posts and tweets on how much you love this stuff. So how did <laughs> Mr. Lowe find you and 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 say, Hey, you're a guy that seems interested in this as well. This is a hobby we share. Let's build something together. Yeah, I don't know how he found me. Oh, there's a phenomenon of itself. I guess. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Okay, why were you interested in in this and jumping on board? Coming from a psychology background and coming from Uh working at NASA, I can see sort of a natural leap in in what I'm picturing in my mind of like, oh, NASA, of course, aliens. I'm definitely interested in this, but... (laughs) That's probably not the case at all, and incredibly biased. So tell me your your side. Uh, It's a weird area to be working in from a professional science point of view. Right, right. It's a a career limiting, inhibiting. (laughs) Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And so I'm sticking my neck out. Yeah. By even doing anything like this, Mm -hmm. I had been writing a series of articles. Okay. Okay. um, On the how does one make high-quality measurements that science can use on this phenomenon uh, by the general public who mm. doesn't have a, a, a Geiger counter or a high, right. you know, magnetometer or right. equipment like that? But at the very you know, amateurish level, let's call it, I, I thought that the quality of the data needed to be raised because mm, okay. we're getting a lot of anecdotes, you know, lights in the night sky and, oh, I was scared. So right. That was it. Right, That's all right. you'd learn from a person. Yeah. And so I wrote this series of articles uh, for a journal <clears throat> of one of the UFO organizations <clears throat> called APRO, A-P-R-O, okay. Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. <coughs> and uh, They're still around. No, they folded a long time ago. Okay, okay. Yeah, they're no longer. Mm. So they published them. Okay. I think there were like four or five in the Neat. series. Neat. Well, I got the idea, uh, why not collect those into a book? Mm-hmm. And so I did. And I put them together, uh, and I let our center director know. Yeah, so he doesn't find out in his Friday night reading, yeah, <laughs> leisurely right. reading. One of your guys What are your chief this. scientists is doing this over here? <laughs> I wasn't a chief scientist. I was just a scientist. At any rate, uh, Dr. Mark 
said, okay, uh, I'll take a look at it. So I gave him the manuscript before it was ever submitted anywhere. Mm. And he handed it back one day, and he said, go for it. Wow. This is post your Apollo program or pre? This is pre. Okay. Pre. Okay. Oh, so yes. You had a lot going, a lot at stake. <laughs> You're I was those. just delighted that he said that. Yeah. So then I yeah. finalized the, the manuscript into a couple hundred pages with illustrations, sent it off, and it got published uh, by uh, Nelson Hall. Okay. <clears throat> 1999, I think it was. Mm. That's when it was published. At any rate, that book is basically, it was entitled uh, Observing UFOs. Mm. And what it does, it takes the reader through space, time, and intensity dimensions. So there's a chapter on space. How do you, with nothing available around, how do you mark the place where you are so mm. that two weeks later you can go back and find it? So, what? Yeah. How do you mark the direction when you're standing at that spot where the object started, where it ended? Oh. How do you measure the time it took if you don't have a wristwatch? Mm. And, and how accurate could that be? Yeah. How can you learn something about the energy characteristics of that? Space, time, and energy, right? The wow. three basic yeah. dimensions here. And, I put the, and some other witness uh, reporting, <clears throat> the psychological component because there's a huge impact emotionally yeah, on yeah. most people mm -hmm. when they see something they've never seen before. Right. Wow. Um, so you're really educating the general public into how to become better reporters so that right. when you come around and start collecting, you've got <laughs> you've got a population now that knows how to do this better. Wow. If they read the book. If they, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that was basically the my first major attempt. And you were just purely out of social uh, um, uh, hobbyists. You yeah. know, this was a passion of yours. Yeah, you don't ever <clears> write <throat> a book to make money. No, I mean, <laughs> it's just like, just pure enjoyment. I mean, you had a daytime job. You had a wife right. and kids. You've, you, you've got the, but this was something that you had just... Extracurricular. ...had, had discovered a, a passion for yeah. or an interest in. Right. Okay. Exactly. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, it was so a big step. Um, and it was well-received. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to say. Yeah. Um, the second book was in called uh, was called How to Be Better Reporters. <laughs> you have Part old two. phenomena and the behavioral scientists. Ah. And it, I was I edited a number of chapters from friends around the country. Okay. A couple outside the country, from their professional discipline background. Mm. So we had a couple psychiatrists and a psychologist and. A uh, couple of pilots, a uh, professor, and so forth. And it, it, that book is in almost every library in the country. Wow. Um, and it was published, by, I think, 1980 uh, by Scarecrow Press. Okay. And they are a professional publisher back east that does mainly books for libraries okay. of a reference basics. That did very well, too. And what was the premise of that one? That was... Oh, just to give everybody an opportunity. If you work in this field, you can't find anybody that'll publish you except uh, rag magazines. Yeah. You know. Yeah. To find an academic, more professional mm -hmm. publishing uh, opportunity is 
almost as nil. Right. Almost nil. Yeah. And if you're a professor teaching in college, you can, you might lose your job. So this was really a collection of all those professionals that you could, you could then say, hey, here's the credibility. Let's put this together, <clears throat> and then you did, and and now it's it, it's something that kind of gives a backbone to what I grew up thinking is just crazy people in tinfoil hats. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some actual uh, a- observable, measurable, scientific uh, uh, processes here that give it credibility. Right. Yeah, wonderful. Right. So now fast forward, you're obviously still interested in, the, in this stuff. But, oh, goodness, yes. But I want to I hear, and, and you've been on TV. You were just interviewed uh, most recently. Was it um, National, National Geographic? Geographic? right. And what was the premise of that story? Ah, well, I think that a good friend of mine really produced it, uh, Leslie Kane. And I think Leslie has been trying to do her best to raise consciousness level in Washington, D.C., at the federal level, to establish a permanent commission to look at the phenomenon seriously. Which is an interesting segue that I'll hold on to in a second, but continue. <laughs> okay. So I think that's where <clears throat> the origin of that came from. <clears throat> she started putting that together with her crew in New York <clears throat> years before COVID. Okay. But COVID interrupted, and so it was just put out recently. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think she did a good job. Yeah. But to answer your question... What I think the uh, the fallout from that five-part series, five segments over three consecutive Mondays, the fallout's going to be um, a better awareness that the military, our military has taken this subject seriously and is right. actually working on it. Right, yeah, and, and this was... For those listening, you can you can watch this on the National Geographic channel, and it is a multi-part series, right? The three parts. Okay, right. yeah. So you can you can hear kind of the interviews of this. Now, interestingly, during COVID, there was a couple of those uh, unexplained sightings, and all of a sudden, the military and Pentagon took an awareness, took it not an awareness, took a um, a public-facing step into formalizing this sort of uh, military. Um, mm-hmm. component to study this kind of phenomenon. Now, right. was this, as you mentioned, Leslie had been working on this prior to COVID. Right. And, of course, then this is launched after. And and there's undeniable fact and undeniable deniable proof on, uh, especially from the military side, uh, that, that is of relevant interest to them in a defense uh, space, in a, in a space where we are competing at stage with other uh, superpowers around the world that have also a similar interest in this. How is that? Are, are you following or tracking that side of the story and and the formation of this group and how they're doing in their investigation? And I mean, it was a shock during 2020 that kind of went almost under the radar in the midst of, hey, your state's on fire and your country is on fire and people are riding across the street and Seattle's starting its own town and people are out of toilet paper. There's a lot of mayhem going on, but also in 2020, oh, by the way, UFOs are real. <laughs> There's like this admission from Pentagon and they're, they're now they're forming this, uh, this mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. Well, she's doing her best and uh, she's well-connected back there, I will say. Uh, 
Let me take you back to about 1960s again, mm. um, when a lot was going on as well, Cold War and so forth, mm. that UFOs were around then, big time. Mm. And having close encounters at Washington National, that was in the 50s, by the way. Mm. So this is, nothing, this is nothing new. Right. What is new is that the Navy, U.S. Navy has finally begun to come out of the closet and to admit, <laughs> Thank you, US Navy. <laughs> admit that they have been studying this mm-hmm. and are now willing to release some of their evidence. Yeah, A lot of gun camera and HUD-related imagery oh, yeah. and oh, so yeah. forth. Um, and when they do that, they're giving something away to <laughs> the other... It may be something so prosaic that it doesn't matter. Sure. Uh, it doesn't matter. Because Russia's doing the same thing. Yeah. But going back to the 60s, as I was saying, <clears throat> back then, the Air Force was the big aviation agency, really, uh, protecting us from the air. And they maintained steadfastly there was no such thing as UFOs. Of course, yeah. And don't be worry- worried about it. And they actually put a <clears throat> clamp on commercial pilots from making any sort of report because of Cold War concerns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? They didn't want to scramble a whole squadron up after a UFO sure. thinking it was Russia. Yeah. Or Soviet Union, I should say. Right. So at any rate, fast forward to today. It's not the Air Force who's coming forward with all this. It's the Navy. Yeah. And I've believed for some time that it's been the United States Navy who's been doing the majority of mm-hmm. research on this subject, right? But not talking about it now. Suddenly <laughs> they are. Well, there, there's you know, for those of you really interested in all of this stuff, you can you can look up different topics from O and I, the Office of Naval Intelligence. You can look up different uh, um, shipborne uh, measuring systems that have captured this. Certainly, the Navy pilots and their uh, cameras, uh, all of this now uh, unclassified, not even to speak of the trove of classified material, of course. Um, but yeah, cer- certainly it, it's on one hand, it's it's nice that it's like, OK, great. Finally, there's some truth admission. to this. You know? right. But at the same time, it's like, man, wow. OK, where are we going with this? Do we th- there's a there's a obviously there needs to be a balance in how much we publicize in a democracy, in a republic that is, that is, we, we don't want to share too much. We want to be honest and truthful to the people and, and do this, but we don't want to share too much that we're now um, uh, showing our hand to our competitors, uh, near world competitors. And mm-hmm. what does that look like? And where does it balance? And how do we answer that? <laughs> what is truth, yep. as yeah, Pontius right. Pilate would say? So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but your interest, again, coming back to the scientific side of it and, and the, um, non-border, the non-apolitical border side of it, you know, you've got this concern of truly the aviation safety side. I want to now pivot the conversation into you specifically as a psychologist, as a scientist in your years at NASA and your, your, um, your background and your interest. How do you see all of this from a behavioral side um, or from a, from a, psychological side uh and because you are a spiritual man how do we process this as believers as as those of us that believe in christianity or or anyone listening that believes in any other religion 
how do we perceive this? Where do we go from here? What does this mean? What are the implications? You've got a lot of this psychology, um, I don't want to say tears, but <laughs> you know, levels. Uh, that you could just talk for hours, I know, from <laughs> reading some of your books and, 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 and even your fiction books here on what that looks like, but um, the mic is yours. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a broad... That's a big-loaded question. I oh, know. man. That, that's a, what a responsibility that is. Uh, I think I would begin by saying, don't ever handcuff God. Mm. Mm. And I think man in his egocentrism and uh, um, fear, basically, he wants, he might believe in God, but he wants handcuffs on him. Uh, he wants to limit God in a way and say, for instance, just one example, that Earth is the only planet in the whole universe where there is sentient life. Mm -hmm. And looking at some of our uh, political machinations going on today, I'm surprised that there's even intelligence on planet Earth. <laughs> but nonetheless, nonetheless. <laughs> All jokes aside. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the, the, studying this subject like this, which is outside the bounds of traditional science is a growth experience for me and for anybody else who does it, basically, um, because it takes faith. You can't study something that you don't believe in. Mm. Mm. Interesting. And that takes faith. Yeah. And so it's helped build my faith Yeah. that my God is big enough that I can take his... I can listen to this. I can take his <laughs> handcuffs off. Mm. Uh, that sounds ludicrous. Yeah. You know, but it's a way of expressing my own release, my own uh, freedom. Mm. Freedom, perhaps, is the idea here. That I'm not as bound as I used to be as far as my self-imposed limitations of who is God and what's he like and what's his relationship with me and mine with him and so forth. That literally the breaking free from the strictures of science. Yeah. Science is a very limited set of procedures and methods and tests and so forth to get to some stability of understanding on a phenomenon, whatever it is, mm -hmm. a chemical, for instance, or an atom or nuclear energy or whatever. That's what science can actually bind us and put handcuffs on us. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so the study, the serious study, I should say, of UFOs, we call them UAP, has really been a freeing experience for me. And I'm very pleased about that. Yeah. Uh, it has been a social, has a social dimension, obviously. I've met people from many, many countries. Uh, I've lectured in Russia, for instance, on this subject mm -hmm. and had people come up to me with the strangest stories you could ever imagine. Um, that's happened in Germany. It's mm. happened in Brazil. Uh, it's happened in France. Mm. It's happened in Italy. Um, it's happened in Norway. Chile. Chile, definitely Chile. Yeah. Yes, yeah. right. And some other places I've forgotten. Mm. So, so what? Well, it means that it, there's a potential for binding us together as humanity mm. uh, who share a, a common concern, a, a common interest, uh, curiosity, let's say, 
Uh, I sound like I'm selling it. I don't mean to sell it as a. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't come off that way at all. Okay. No, no. Okay. But I encourage anyone who's who who develops an interest in something that's kind of offbeat, don't be afraid of it. <laughs> right. Chase it down. I mean, that's how all good things start, right? All, all the most brilliant innovations of our time, or discoveries of our time, or anything has come out of the unconventional. Oh, I yeah. believe that this is possible. Let's go do it until we we can measure it right. and identify it or build it <laughs> or create it or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think there's a healthy way to do it, and you, uh -huh. you display that. You know, there's we grew up, we all know too many people who have the unhealthy way of doing things like this that, are, that end up being conspiracy theorists. And, and, right. and there's absolute truth to a lot of the... or. or bits of truth to a lot of the conspiracies out there, but instead of politicizing it or, or the emotion that's typically harnessed with that or the agenda, I should say, um, you've done it in a healthy way that, that uh, bears and brings to light um, something that is typically taboo, especially in our, I mean, in our Christian circles, right? right? Um, right. This is certainly something where, where uh, uh, pastors, theologians, uh, well-intentioned men and women of the faith would say certainly there can't be life outside of us because that would implicate that Christ um, right. would <laughs> did not die for just me, <laughs> uh -huh. and it's all about me. Right. <laughs> so, and you're telling me it's not. <laughs> so, yeah, or that life has to be in our form, or that it has to be in our form, sure. or that uh, it has to be, uh, you know, that that we are the most important now. That, that's also balanced with what we know and believe of Scripture for those of us that believe absolutely in the integrity and uh, of the Bible that we have today, mm -hmm. that God did create Adam and Eve, and, and he, they were his final masterpiece. But does that preclude yeah. life created otherwise in those other days? And, and that's an interesting topic we can definitely talk about on air if you're comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> we can... Well, let's explore that for just a minute. Sure, please. Um, I, I I started out deliberately saying that many many people want to put God in handcuffs. Yeah, yeah. Because precluding that is like putting him in gla in handcuffs. Right. We're saying that God can't do something. Right. That he can't produce, not produce, create uh, other planets. <clears throat> it may not be carbon-based. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're silicon-based. I don't know. But nonetheless, they can have intelligence, mm -hmm. you see. Um, but let's explore this for just a minute, the, yeah. the spiritual dimension here. Right. That ufology, UAP phenomena, may be a spiritual phenomena, mm. not a physical nuts and bolts, chemical, metallic right. phenomenon at all, or gaseous or whatever. Mm -hmm. It will not may not fit into our... Measurable realm, mm. which means that much of my work is for nothing. <laughs> you see, that sounds uh, heartless or, or not hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to, as a Christian, I have to confront that possibility. Yeah, yeah. And so, when I talk to a lot of people now, uh, and I do, they want to force me into one end of a mm -hmm. spectrum or the other end of a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And one end of that spectrum is nuts and bolts. Yeah that I believe in extraterrestrials, little green men, mm. flying machines, mm -hmm. discs, yeah. whatever, way out here 
and if we could capture one, we'd understand everything. Right, right. But then other people want to force me into the other end of that continuum, which is spiritual. Mm -hmm. Can't measure it. Invisible, oftentimes. Uh, ethereal. Mm -hmm. um, Non-permanent, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Uh, gaseous, so to speak. And <clears throat> I resist both of those. Mm -hmm. And I've said this many times, that I want to have the, <clears throat> the privilege of remaining as an objective scientist in the middle, yeah. where I have plenty of room to work in either direction. Mm -hmm. And so from my Christian beliefs, I can approach the spiritual end and think about that and put it in a, a biblical perspective, mm -hmm. trying to re reconcile what the Bible says about right. ET life. Yeah, yeah. And it does, by the way, mm -hmm. just uses different words. Mm -hmm. uh, or I can explore the other end, too, uh, I'm not a physicist, and I'll be the first to admit that. <laughs> but I have a lot of friends who are. Yeah. And I can go to them. Yeah. You see, work as a team, sort of mm. thing. Um, That's a good word you used. The the privilege to be ob ob objective, right there in the middle. Yeah. And, and I think that that brings you know such an honesty and honest approach to to this process, which is freeing from any agenda, political, spiritual, otherwise, mm. and and allows you to seek truth wherever it may lead, which is <laughs> uh, can be frowned upon at uh -huh. any time in history. But, you know, you, you think of uh, all the way back to the Catholic Church and <laughs> Galileo and right. <laughs> all the and, and and today and, you know, just the, the taboo topics that we, we don't want to discuss because of, oh, my goodness, it will it will cause us to, you know, think something differently than what we teach you to think, and we are the authority on this subject. Uh, yeah. God forbid yeah. man, yeah. man's authority ever get turned over by another yeah. you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh -oh. Let me explore one more dimension. Please. Um, <clears throat> that I have been oh, confronted, maybe that's the best word, hmm. by Christians hmm who are firmly committed to the demonic theory that, sure, we're visited by little gray beings, but they're all of the devil. Mm. <clears throat> they're satanic. Okay. There's some manifestation of that. Sure. They're spiritual, Yeah. Um, but they're not angels, maybe the negative angels or whatever you want to call them. <clears throat> and I have to be honest with them and say I have spent a lot of my life looking at that kind of a thing mm. that... For instance, a person who claims to have had a close encounter of the fourth kind, which is an abduction. Okay. Okay. They claim they've been abducted by these aliens, taken aboard, given exams, mm. interviewed, data dumps, all sort of things sure. like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I say to those people, uh, very seriously and, and humbly, basically, how has your life changed as a result of those traumatic experiences? Yeah, yeah. And I have to be very honest with you and whoever's listening here that the great, great, great majority of those people say my life's gotten better. Mm. Now, if it's satanic, I say to myself, would Satan deliberately make people's lives better? Mm. Now, I can hear a theologian making a case that they would. Sure. As a, a, a deception. Yeah. A, a, 
a ploy. I was just going to ask you what it, de- it, de- it would depend on how you define better. Is it man's success uh-huh. and riches and therefore, yeah, deceptive? As no, you it's, just nev- it's almost never in the <clears throat> financial uh, prosperity dimension at all. Mm. It's an awareness of a bigger consciousness. Mm. Uh, for instance, I've got more gifts than I ever knew I had. Mm. I am expressing my gifts now what I didn't before. That's to me positive. Yeah, interesting. Now others could argue it's not. Yeah. But I think it is. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean if again if we're if we're Bible believing Christians, we read time and time again of spiritual apparitions visiting and bestowing upon messages or gifts or whatever to mankind through That's all right. of scripture, right? That's right. So who's who's to say the 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 same doesn't still happen today? Now obviously there's a, an entire sect of Christianity that would believe in um in the the cessation mm-hmm. of of any sort of miraculous gift or uh appearance or things like that. Um yeah. but but yeah, I, I I like that word. You know, going back to the privilege of being in the middle, privilege of of being firmly on the fence post and not taking a side one or the other, and not putting God in a box and saying, "Oh, uh, it has to be all free will," or "Oh, it's entirely predestination." Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, because we know if once once we know all of there is to know about God, He's no longer God. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's right. That's right. Wow. So where do you see this project and this passion, this project being NARCAP or, or ongoing similarly related projects, and this passion, this interest of yours, where do you see this going uh, the rest of your life and beyond? Oh, that's up to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> I've purposely stepped back from active <clears throat> leadership and involvement, <clears throat> although I will give interviews once in a while. Uh, as an encouragement to others to go mm. and do likewise. Yeah. Um, I must say that our world is in such a state right now that uh, I think we're getting distracted from this subject quite a bit. Mm. Um, it's of peripheral interest to more existential challenges that we're facing. Uh, and whether it comes back, I don't know. Mm. It could be that God has set aside this an end times kind of a, a series of events yeah. to get us ready for going home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I don't know. That'd be great. Yes, it would. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I am. So I really can't answer as far as I'm concerned personally. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if right. I could find some young people. Um, <laughs> if only sin- you knew. So. <laughs> who sincerely were interested uh, in this phenomenon, I would love to teach them mm. what I know. Yeah, have them carry the mantle and that's right. Bring it on. So, is it run by just yeah one person now? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, pretty much. And how can people that are interested that are listening get involved, either in learning about this and or financial? I mean, it, how does this program make money? How how did you uh-huh. go and travel and meet these people to get their stories and? And, uh-huh. and do this, was it on your own dime? Is this a nonprofit? It is a nonprofit, but we do have a 501c3 status, tax status. Um, 
almost all of our work was self-funded. Okay. Why? Because it's a brand new approach to things, and you know it's hard to raise money on a new effort. Right, right, yeah. Um, Had a lot of volunteer work, high-quality work done. Uh, I don't want to get into details, but I'm very appreciative of that uh, because I'm not sure we could have gone as far as we did without it. Yeah. Um, In photo analysis, for instance, Mm. uh, radar analysis. We've done a lot of radar analysis, both active and passive radar. Um, we can't do that ourselves. We don't have any filters and yeah. whatever, but other people do. Right. Okay. Uh, let me change the subject briefly with a close encounter of the first kind that happened here on Whidbey Island. Okay, first you have to de- define for me and the audience what you mean by first, second, third, fourth ah. kind. Okay. We're all new to this. Uh, Let me speak for myself. I'm all new to this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, my mentor, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, was a uh, astronomy professor at Northwestern University in Chicago. Okay. And he is kind of the dean. I always think of him as that. Um, he came up with this nomenclature called CE1, CE2, 3, and 4. Okay. A CE1, by his definition, which is everybody's now, is uh, the visual sighting, maybe the auditory, you'll also hear something, but basically vision of an aerial object at fairly close distance. That's all. Aerial. Aerial, in the air, sometimes landed. Sight and hearing, potentially. Yes, and at a distance of like 500 feet, 1,000 feet. That's close. Right. A CE2, by definition, is a sighting where, after the phenomenon goes away, the witness can go up to that spot and, and take measurements, see, um, analyze changes in the environment hmm. that were produced by the phenomenon. Okay. Also aerial and or ground or underwater or whatever. They, they can at least go to wherever that happened. Yes. Okay. Well, it's... It's permanent in the sense you can take radiology, okay. um, a Geiger counter, okay. and collect radiation. <clears throat> or the grass is matted down. Sure. Or there are holes in the ground where the, the legs were. Right, right. Or broken branches from a tree as it was <clears throat> taking off. Yeah. That kind of thing. Right. That's a CE2. Okay. A CE3 is where there's not only an object of some kind, and I won't say craft, but a lot of people do. There's an object there and also a humanoid of some kind. Mm. A cre- some sort of some creature. sentient being. Well, sometimes sentient, sometimes not, but at least ver- usually vertical with two okay. legs, two arms, a hum- head. Humanoid, yeah. A okay. humanoid, right. <clears throat> That's a CE3. Okay. Uh, a CE4, by definition, is where the witness claims to have been abducted. Got it. And basically taken on board the craft and then uh, brought back and tells his story. It Could could that be an out-of-body experience? Sure. Or is it always physical in the sense that you physically were taken? I don't know. Okay. That's a great question. They could, in other words, they could be, <laughs> they could be, they could have this experience in a spiritual sense or in a, right. in a, 
out of body sure. experience and, and also be classified as a CE4. Yes, and come okay. across as very believable. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And be very realistic. That's right. So those are your four categories. Okay. Uh, so here's a, a quick overview of this recent, well, it isn't too recent, but a local case yeah. from right where the island, are, where we are now. Not island. military classified. Classified. Not military classified, <laughs> although I think they should. I'm not scrubbing my um, <laughs> audio here. I've got the, uh, yeah, there you go. Go ahead. What is that for? That's for when you talk about classified things. Oh, really? <laughs> start, start talking about something classified. Watch what happens. No, you just, you have to start, you have to start talking about something oh, classified. Oh, all right. Uh, well, the Air Force pilot was... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> no. The, <laughs> so, so your CE one. Yeah, this it was not classified. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it was approximately thirty years ago that this happened. Okay. But it's multiple eyewitnesses. Mm. And a. Two 16-year-old girls who live on West Beach Road or neighbors to each other, and they used to play together. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> one sunny day, they were out in the fields together, getting close to dinner time, apparently, and they both saw this metallic silvery disc with a, like about a five-to-one length-to-width ratio hovering silently off in the distance. Mm. And they were on... Uh, one family owned a farm that was adjacent to the next farm. Okay. And each one raised crops and cattle or whatever. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And they both had never seen anything like this at first. And they thought it was a naval vehicle of some kind from the base here. Yeah. And so they watched it, but they realized that it wasn't anything they knew of. It was silent Mm. and it just hovered there. So they got scared, and they didn't lay down on the grass, but they got down low. The grass was pretty tall, they said, at that time. They could hide. Yeah. They thought they were hiding. Well, at any rate, um, the object then starts moving away from them to the cliff. There's about mm. a 150-foot drop-off down to the water level right. where they were. The object didn't fly up, which is the typical way of disappearance, by the way. Yeah. It went down out of sight below the cliff level. Wow. And then out, they said it finally showed up over the water. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And then it went towards Victoria. Okay. In that direction. Wow. Which for your listeners means to the west. Yeah. Over Puget Sound. Well, they raced home and kind of forgot about it. All right. Who would forget about something like that? Well, uh, one of the gals attends the church you and I attend. Ah, okay. And that's how I heard about it. Got it. And so I interviewed both of them in quite some detail. Yeah. Took pictures and measurements and all that. Um, but the story isn't over. I was going to say, it sounds sounds like there's got to be more. There's more. And this, this complicates things. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> that... Because I was saying, not a hair. It's not a harrier, you know, the hovering type. Oh no, no, years, we had so a harrier were... down at Ames. And yeah, it was the noisiest thing you right, ever heard. Right, yeah. So uh-huh. this was quiet. Yeah, interesting. Completely silent. Hmm. 
It didn't rock either. It yeah. just was rock solid. Interesting. Uh, and it moved smoothly. It didn't go, psh, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. really quickly. It was smooth. Wow. Okay. Now I want you to switch locations up West Beach Road to Family Bible Church. Okay. We're going north on We're the going island. Going north, about two and a half miles. Okay. Roughly. And two mothers with their kids in the back of the station wagon are coming back from the Navy base on a Saturday after having taken the kids to the Saturday show. Okay. They had a movie theater there. Yeah. I don't know if they do still. At the Sky Warrior movie theater on base? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they do. Okay, they do. They're driving down Heller Road past the church. Okay. To the first road to the right. Crosby. Crosby. Yeah. She told me, and who the witness is after this many years is one of the kids in the back seat. Oh. But her mother was in the front seat. Her mother's still alive. I've interviewed both of them. Wow. This is what both of them told me independently. You never interview them together. Yeah. Always independently. So they can you can corroborate that. <laughs> well, it helps. It yeah. Helps. <laughs> uh, this is what they both told me, that they just turned right on Crosby and were about 100 yards down. Okay. Head towards west, towards west It wasn't paved yet. It yeah. was gravel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the mother in the right seat as a passenger said, what is that? And ahead of them in a field below the top of the uh, uh, tree line was this round five to one silvery wow. disc with no markings, no rivet lines, no nothing, just a solid, very solid looking object. Yeah, yeah. Just sitting there, and they, she, the driver, the one other woman, pulled off to the side, the shoulder of the road, and they just sat there looking at it. Wow. Everybody in the car. It was sitting in the in the grass, or it was no, it was, in the no, air? it was about fifty feet up. They oh, okay. said, okay, okay. But if you know that region, mm -hmm. there's a hill line behind it right. that goes up a bit in altitude. So they just stood and watched, uh, sat there and watched it for a while. They didn't know what it was. Okay, so what happens? They both told me that they somebody said, should we chase it? <laughs> and everybody said, yeah, <laughs> let's chase it. And so they do. This is and the start of the show, Stranger Things, on Netflix. If you've never <laughs> seen that show, this is how it started. <laughs> and they take off in the gravel road. And as they're going down the hill slightly and then turn right and then turn they're, left. They're in their car chasing it? Or oh, on yes. Foot? Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. The object starts to move, mm. and it lifts up a little bit in altitude, um, keeping very low altitude, yeah. and goes over, just skims the top of the trees, the wow. evergreens there, out towards the ocean. Wow. And they chase it like crazy at 50 miles an hour down this road. Uh, and there's eight people in the car, in, in the station wagon. Yeah. So we have two at the south and eight in the north. Yeah. That's a good case. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can do comparison between and them. And we've seen this, obviously, a similar object. And this is the same, the two in the south, the okay. two girls. Well, all I know is that the drawings look very similar. And this is the same time period? Very close in time. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, time of day as well. Mm. That's important. Um, what does the object do? It flies, apparently, according to them, almost due west out to the, the, the seacoast uh, where West Beach Road runs along with all the houses along right, it. Right, right. And back then, there weren't as many summer cottages along the water. Yeah. There. Just 
some. It turned left and went south. You know where the road goes up the uh, steep right. area on yeah. West Beach Road there? Mm-hmm. Okay. It went up. Uh, it went to that region where the road starts going up, and then it stopped and hovered above the hill. Interesting. And just waited. It waited for them to <laughs> finally for catch them up. To get there. <laughs> and so they pulled off just at the base <clears throat> of the road. You know, there's a little observation yeah, region yeah. there. Apparently it was there then, 20-some years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. And waited. Uh, and this is where the story gets really weird. Because the woman who's now a mother and a grandmother was a kid in the back seat at that time. Mm. Uh, she said they all got out of the car and stood beside the car looking up, and the object came over right above them. That's terrifying. Huge object, big yeah. round object. Uh, and she says, I don't really remember too much after that. <laughs> That's also terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, I have a, a good friend in Coopville who's a clinical psychologist, hypnotist. Mm. And so I asked her to hypnotize this woman, if wow. she would, if both is, agreed. You're doing this 30 years ago? No, I did this two years ago, just before COVID. Okay, okay. I just learned about it just yeah, yeah. recently. And under hypnosis, sometimes you can learn things that the conscious mind will not right. produce. And what this woman said, uh, under hypnosis now... Um, was that as she's standing looking up at this object, a, a door opened. Uh, the outline of an opening, light mm. behind it, slipped through the edges of a door. Put it that way. Interesting. Uh, a squ- square or <clears throat> rectangle, I forget yeah. which one it was. And she doesn't remember anything after that. Wow. And I said, and one of my stock questions is, did you have any indication of missing time? Did time seem to flow evenly, and you look at your watch, and it's just 10 minutes or yeah. whatever? Yeah. She said, well, that's odd you say that, because at the beginning of this, when we first pulled off and parked and so forth, the sun was above the horizon there, but low. Right. And next thing I remember, it's dark. Mm. In other words, one interpretation is that time did pass. Yeah. Fascinating. Interesting. So now we're going from the nuts and bolts end yeah. into a much more psychological, psychiatric, mental, spiritual, fuzzy yeah, yeah. region, Right. you see. <clears throat> and if I stuck myself in the science end, I'd just cut her off and say, I'm not interested. Yeah, right. I, I don't believe you. Right, right. I, want to, I don't want to hear anymore. Right. You know, I can't do that. And if you went the other way, you would say, now what's the meaning and how do I alter my life and relate to this? Yeah, yeah, or more. Wow. Yeah, so there's 10 witnesses here on the island, right on West Beach Road, within two miles of each other. Yeah. Uh, Here's here's the bottom, not the bottom line, but an interesting side note that you need to know. That when I plotted, I used Google Maps, and I plotted the trajectory of where the object's supposedly supposed to go and so forth. Yeah, yeah. I discovered that the altitude of that object did not go high enough to hit the radar at the base. Oh. It it stayed below radar. Interesting. Very interesting. (laughs) Very interesting. It knew that. (laughs) Which makes sense why it dropped off the cliff in the first story and kept going out over the ocean until it was out of... Yeah. 
radar range. Yeah, the mother in the second story uh, of this woman I interviewed, and I've inter interviewed her mother, she said she saw it drop down from its altitude, first altitude, and then go out just skimming on the top of the water a couple hundred yards, and then it turned right, and it went way up north mm. towards Anacortes, I guess you might say. Yeah. Turned around, came back again, back and forth, Weird. back and forth two mm. or three times. Interesting. I Very interesting. Why. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, that's a fantastic place to take a break <laughs> real quick okay. as we as we tantalize our listeners <laughs> okay. for the the next part here. Okay. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Anna Vivo podcast. We welcome your feedback and ideas. You can learn more about us by simply googling the word Anna Vivo. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. I am a licensed real estate broker with Compass Real Estate and a nationwide real estate matchmaker. We consult with you for free, find and vet the right real estate professional that specializes in the area and niche you need, are paid by that professional, and they get clients like yourself who want and need their unique specialty or winning track record. If you or someone you know is in the market to buy or sell real estate anywhere in the U.S., don't simply web search the highest paying advertiser. Let us use our licensed experience to find and vet the real and best professional for you. It costs you nothing but a phone call or email with me and it saved my clients financially and emotionally. I'd be honored to serve and you can reach me direct by email at tim.c.miller at outlook.com. And as always, to God be the glory. <laughs>